Welcome to episode number 64 of Peak Curiosity. My name is Abigail. A quick disclaimer here, this episode deals with suicide. I'll give you just a couple of seconds to grab some headphones or turn this off for later in case there are some kids around. This episode features my dad, Kurt. Twelve years ago, his twin brother shot himself in the chest. My dad shares the process of grief through such an extreme trauma. It goes without saying, this is a tough episode. It was tough to record, and it will be tough to listen to. If you or someone you know is struggling, please call someone. Um, well, I think we should start with your name. Okay. And okay. how you know me. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Oh, this will be fun. A little bit about your upbringing, oh, environment. Yeah, that would be. And I wanted you to talk about, I hear that there are special bonds between twins. And you can see it with babies, the way that they can yeah. really interact with each other. Yeah. So how about we start there? So um, my name is Kurt McKinney, and I was born a twin to my, with my brother Bert. And uh, it was really interesting, one of the, First things that I found out much, you know, obviously later as my mom was talking to us that uh, I was born second to my brother. He was, and we were almost born on two different days because August 18th and August 19th, right before midnight, ah. we were almost born on two different, on two different days being twins. That would have been very fun, interesting conversation. But anyway, so... Um, Bert was born five minutes before I was, and it was right before midnight. And so the doctors were always wondering if whether or not that night it would be, you know, two different dates. But anyway, it wasn't. It was right before midnight that I was born. And uh, anyway, um, so my brother Bert always put this thing in front of me that I was born first. Remember, first or more special, you know. And so anyway. And so by I first, you mean like number 12? Yeah. So, so there were actually 13 kids in our family and... Yes, Bert and I were kind of the 12th, no, 11th and 12th. And then I had a younger sister a couple years younger than I was, so she would be 13. And, uh, but however, in our family, uh, way back when, um, they were, uh, the first three were uh, like, a set of twins actually died uh, shortly after birth. Um, and in that your been, family? Yeah, so mom and dad, they... Uh, Isla and Stan McKinney, they had uh, the first three children of their marriage died, um, which I think was a really big thing that happened, obviously, in their marriage and may have been pretty stressful, obviously. No kidding. They all died after birth? They died. One, I think, I think one died at birth and mm -hmm. one, and then the two twins died shortly after birth, like within the next week or two do they know uh, why they don't know why Sad. way back in then man i'm not sure when that would have been 50s that was yeah that or was late 40s so it would have been late 40s would have been like almost like 1945 i don't know my dad was in world war ii and so anyway um but i think it would have been i think it was and i heard it was really tough for my dad my dad used to go to church until about then, and then I think, I think he got really mad at God and or that kind of thing, um, 
and just kind of straight away. And uh, I think it was super hard on my dad, though. Um, I think my mom was kind of like a old pioneer. Well, she wasn't old at the time, obviously. My mom was 13. My dad was 28 when they eloped. So you could see that kind of start in life would always be interesting. Oh, man. Um, but uh, yeah, so it was really tough. But um, so that's a little bit of that background. Um, but Bert and I were born. We were, uh, you know, I. It's, it's really hard to imagine when you're a twin, it's so natural that this other person is always part of your life. And uh, I mean, everything you did was connected with this other person and uh, super fun. Um, you know, you always had a playmate, somebody to hit, somebody to hit you, punch you, you know, whatever. And super fun. And uh, he was just a great guy. He was, he was a little more quiet than I was. Um, he was super good looking and I was below average in that department. And, I can confirm. But I have seen your yearbook photos. Yeah. And I will not deny that you and Bert were the most handsome boys in Payette High School. Oh, well, I'm not sure how many boys were at Payette High School. No, anyway, so, that, <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, Bert had all the, all the girls chasing him and I was just, uh, I, I kind of became a little bit of an athlete, um trying to get to know people through like being an athlete in school and running races and being the fastest was always my thing. And so, but anyway, um, so being a twin is, is super unique. Um, when you're a twin, you don't necessarily think about it. Um, it is, uh, it is just so natural. Every day is the same. You got this play partner, this, person to do things with and it was super fun um and uh so um our upbringing we were extremely poor um if you could like kind of imagine a little bit of a shack type home with things nailed to it and fastened to it and roof leaking and just try to imagine that uh, no yard no grass no uh Nothing very fancy. Um, Did you have toilets? Oh yeah, yeah. We had we had toilets. We had clawfoot tubs. Uh, you know, uh, back in the day, Bend, Oregon. Born in 1960. Um, anyway, mom and dad. Uh, my mom came from a much larger family. My dad did not. My dad came from a uh, a small family in Seattle, and his brother was killed by a chicken thief when my. What? Yeah. Uh, in Seattle, gosh, this is, my dad was born in, when was my dad born? Sounded like about 1920. Nine, I think around 1912, my dad was born. Mm. Um, and uh, so then um, when he was, I think he was, thir he, his brother was 13 when he was killed by a chicken thief with a shovel. Yikes. And uh, so it was pretty traumatic for my dad, I think. Um, it was, and it was so interesting about somebody's, like, what happens in a family like that. The mother took it really hard. The dad, I think, was just a dad and firm and stoic kind of older gentleman. I barely met him when I was a boy, a grandpa. Um, smoked cigars. The smell of cigars was so unbelievable, strong. But anyway, that's the unique thing about grandpa. 
Um, and uh, but I think it really did affect my brother and the relationship between now my dad losing his brother and then the mom being so angry about that whole situation really took it out on my dad. And so I think it really did affect my dad in much later in life and just how he was treated as a boy kind of unfairly, you know? Um, but so that's a little bit of a background of, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, my family, we were, you know, lots of kids in our family. And, and so that was kind of cool from certain aspects, except for at dinner time, you didn't, when you were the youngest, you didn't get a lot of food at dinner time. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, it was all good. It was all good. My mom and dad tried hard. I think they, they did fight a lot. They, they physically uh, didn't get along. And uh, anyway, quite the, quite the struggles and all that. But anyway, that's kind of just a little bit of background. Well, we could talk about that forever, yeah. but yeah. we won't. Um, you did not say how you know me. Okay, so Abigail is actually my daughter. Yeah. And uh, what she doesn't know is that in part of this process of grieving, she's part of it. And mm-hmm. she's actually the helpful part. That's good to know. <laughs> She'll find that out uh, here in a few minutes. Okay. Um, so are we gonna just address the elephant in the room? Yeah, I think, okay. I, I, I think it's, um, you know, so, um, obviously, uh, this talk is about, you know, about suicide and, uh, taking one's life. Um, I had never experienced much, much death in my life. Um, I had lost, uh, an older brother um, a few years before this incident, I had lost my parents before this. And I don't know that I was really ever super prepared. Um, I had actually had a conversation with my twin brother years before this happened that he said he would never do this thing. He would never take his own life. And so, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a pact I think in a sense that him and I had that, you know, we're just not going to do this thing. Um, it's just not okay. And, uh, so anyway, it was, uh, uh, that was it, you know, this wasn't ever going to happen. And, uh, so I, I guess we could get real specific. Um, some things will be hard to talk about. Um, So on June 5th, 2009, my twin brother um, decided that at about 7 a.m. in the morning, he would uh, take a double barrel shotgun and lean up against it and uh, put it to his chest and and, uh, decide that life wasn't worth living. And uh, I was on vacation at the time, and I think he kind of knew that there was a little bit of a plan that he had. And so on a Wednesday, I was getting ready. I was working on a job and I had called him and I called my twin brother every day. It was kind of the 10 o'clock phone call that we always had. Super cool thing that we did. And uh, anyway, um, I knew that he was going through a struggle. He had been divorced and, and... Well, and he had a girlfriend that was quite a terror, wasn't she? Yeah. That... I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, I was... 12 or something so I wasn't told very much but 
I mean, I got the feeling that this girlfriend was not working. Yeah, it was really a sad situation. Um, Bert and Lisa had been married for quite some time, and then they they actually got a little bit of a divorce, separation kind of thing, and then they they got remarried again. And and I was really hopeful that things would be able to work out, um, but I guess it didn't. And so, right around two thousand eight. Um, 2009, right in there. Um, my brother had secretly kind of made this thing in his life where he was going to leave his wife again. And uh, I think he knew deep down that it was super wrong kind of thing to do. And um, Bert and I's relationship was really interesting from the aspect that he always felt like I was always doing the right thing and that he was kind of always doing the wrong thing. And I don't know that I never really looked at it that way, but I think that's how he felt. And so he, uh, um, I think he felt very shameful about what the process he was going through with, with Lisa. And uh, so anyway, he didn't want to talk to me about it and he didn't talk to me about it. So therein lies what's really interesting about suicidal people is that they, they start this process of shutting down and building walls and it's really really hard to maybe see it at the time um and uh they become very closed off and uh so but you don't see it and so you know life is going on and my brother's making some pretty dumb decisions and so what happens in his life is he starts stacking stuff that's kind of a we're going to call it the stack of shame. And so we have a tendency, we start making bad decisions and we feel more shame from all these bad decisions. And I think my brother was just really there and he was, he was feeling bad about this decision and that decision and then this decision. And then all of a sudden, you know, he felt bad about his kids and how things were going. And then he had this gal come and live with him. And uh, this gal had her issues, obviously. And was Bert a drinker? He was, he was a little bit of a drinker. Um, he had a man cave, uh, and he had his buddy, um, that would come over basically every evening. They'd have a couple beers in the man cave and just, you know, it was definitely a man cave, man alive. Um, it was the, uh, you know, deer head on the wall and, you know, gun racks everywhere and a TV in the corner and, you know, just, it was really kind of a cool thing. And he had a couple easy chairs in there and it was, uh, it was his place and uh, every night they'd sit down and have a couple beers and talk and 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 his buddy was uh was a pretty close guy i think to him and uh anyway and so that was pretty important too and i think that actually played into what was the event that took place um and uh anyway yeah so um on june 9th um my brother decided that he would take his life and uh you were with me. Uh, Grace was with me. We were up in Spokane and mom, we were on a little vacation. She was, my wife was wanting to do the, I think it's called farm chicks thing up there. And so we had scheduled this trip and it was going to be fun and we were just going to hang out. And, and we went with friends. Yeah. 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 Rick and Gail were uh, in Moscow at the time and they were going to Gail and, and mom were going to do the farm chicks together and it was going to be just a fun weekend well we got there on a 
oh, geez, Thursday afternoon, and here it was now Friday morning. And I, the thing about that morning that was so weird is, you know, cell phones are always with us. And, uh, but that morning, I didn't grab it. And so we went off to downtown Spokane to have a really nice pastry shop down there. And, and uh, uh, so we had a great time just at this pastry shop. Uh, Grace was really into that kind of stuff. And so really good cup of coffee, really good pastry. Here it is, you know, 9 a.m., Spokane and and everything's fine and uh, all of a sudden I realized wow guy I left my I left my cell phone back at the motel room so we get ourselves back to the motel room and um we uh I go in and grab my phone and I look down at my phone and got all these messages and I'm like gee what is going on and so then I I realized huh something's up you know and so I call my brother Mike and I'm sitting in my truck and my two daughters are behind me and my wife is sitting beside me in my truck and we're in the parking lot of this motel. And uh, anyway, my, my brother just tells me the news of my twin brother taking his life. And uh, wow. Super strange. The amount of anger that the truck door, <laughs> my Chevy Avalanche truck door, I think felt the uh, immediate, uh, like, slam that door so hard. Just listening to my brother's words. I could not understand. What had just happened? And uh, I remember walking away from the truck and headed back towards the motel and I, I didn't even know what to, what to think. And I, and mom knew what, now what had happened. And so she come flying out of the truck and she's followed me into the motel room. And I threw myself on the bed and I just screamed. I just went, God, why? What? And uh, gosh, my chest, my breathing, everything was super difficult. And I remember laying there and going, God, I know that you have a plan and all things are for your glory. But I don't get it. I don't get it. But I said that day, please show me what possible good can come from this. Because I'm going to need it. And so... I laid there for quite a while. I don't know how long it was. And all of a sudden, I felt like I needed to just get up. And so we just started our day off. And uh, <laughs> um, wow. The feeling of hurt was so incredibly piercing. And, you know, they talk about your heart aching. 
that's it. That is it. It is the heart aching. I, uh, what was so interesting is we went through that day and I'm just trying to, like, I'm a pretty talkative guy, but that day was trying to understand something. So the plan was to take you and Grace to Silverwood and uh, Rick Howard was there. And so we're going to Silverwood that day. And I think it was, was the next day. Was it the next it was day? the next day. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, and my friends were there too. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So mom and Gail went to Farm Chicks and then you guys oh. spent the day with us kids at the theme park. Oh, is that what that was? Okay. Okay. Sorry, lack of memory. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, it, uh, but um, that night, um, I, uh, laid in my bed there in the motel room and I, and you know, you might think, well, why didn't he just go back home? And uh, we didn't, we had plans. I didn't want to go back home. Um, home didn't feel very good anymore right then. So that night in the motel room, I, uh, it was about three o'clock in the morning. I had not gotten any sleep yet. And, uh, I felt something really difficult in my chest and I thought, wow, that hurt a lot. And uh, something did happen. We don't really know what other than a series of nerves right next to one of the valves and my heart had kind of gone bad. And so it started sending some kind of electrical pulse and changed my heart rate and changed my blood pressure. I was perfectly healthy 48 year old guy at the time. And, uh, that uh it was not a heart attack something a little bit different yeah it it felt i guess that might be what a heart attack felt like but it was different it just changed my blood pressure a great deal in my heart rate but at the time not knowing it's the middle of the night anyway finally got a little bit of rest i think and then uh, woke up the next morning and uh anyway just went through i think it would have been silverwood like you say that day um just kind of low-key in it. I was just, and just trying to do the darndest to try to uh, have a little bit of fun with you and Grace. And uh, anyway, but, um, wow, things hurt. And uh, anyway, so a few days later in this process, um, we we didn't make ourselves our way back home. It was, um, I think it was a Monday, a Monday. We eventually got back um, Tuesday morning, we were. I was supposed to meet with Lisa, um, my brother Mike, uh, my other sister Lisa, um, at the mortuary there in Boise. And a very interesting thing took place. My son Jason, at the time, he was pretty close to my twin brother Bert, and so they both worked at Idaho Power. And and well, maybe Jason wasn't quite at Idaho Power yet, but anyway, working for working for a power company. And uh, anyway, Jason took it upon himself to. Uh, say, hey, dad, I'm going to take you to Boise. I'm going to help you out. I'm just going to be your chauffeur and you probably shouldn't drive. And uh, that was, that was really sweet of him. And uh, it was good. Um, I, uh, one of the things I realized I really needed to do was this young lady, this lady that my brother had moved into his house and had this relationship with, uh, 
she was obviously also worked at Idaho Power, but was also very shocked by this whole thing that had taken place with my brother taking his life. And um, so she was staying at a friend's house and I, we had gone to the mortuary. Jason had taken me there. And, and uh, anyway, um, we had left there and I told my son, Jason, I said, Hey, we need to go see this gal and I need to go see her. Um, um, I had had some pretty tough conversations with her prior to this, that things weren't going well between her and Bert and that she needed to leave the house. And I think my brother would do better. And I was hoping but that never happened. But anyway, so now this whole thing had transpired had been a tragic thing. And uh, so now I had decided that I would go to her and see her that day. And um, I would let her know that I was um, not going to hold any grudges. I was going to forgive her for what took place and that I was going to reassure her that this whole tragic mess was truly my brother's fault and not hers. And it was his final actions that, and I, I knew that that would be my process in trying to forgive her for not leaving my brother and giving him some space and all that. Um, but, um, that, um, it would be really important for me to heal in that process too, to forgive her. And, uh, so man, what a difficult 20, 30 minutes that was. Um, and because uh, I was really mad at her, but um, I also knew that I, I needed to just step forth in faith and just and go through this process of forgiving her and and really just stating that this was not her fault. This was really my brother. And so anyway, that was a really interesting process. Um, and now I look back at it and Jason was there. And anyway, I, I really hope that someday that that lesson of forgiveness is something he can take. It's important not to hold on to that stuff. So anyway, um, but I, I think what's really interesting is that, so going back to prior to June 5th of 2009, my brother started this process of building these walls between him and I and him and brother Mike and him and his kids and, and his, his ex-wife Lisa. And um, he just started this separation thing and and what was really interesting is i think what's really important to understand about people who are really in a in a shameful place in their life and they're they're really depressed and things aren't going well they they start this thing where you uh you start creating these really thick high walls of separation so that um, you can start to justify whatever action you might be having in your mind to go do and uh and so um but what I discovered as I looked back in time from that date, um, I really, you know, that next couple of weeks as I lost my brother, I was really evaluating what had taken place. And I, I could literally look back and go, wow, my brother quit like giving me a hug when I'd see him or he'd quit saying I love you or and he would just quit these things. And I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it. And so as I look back now, I see that he was, what he was doing was saying, I'm not going to love you on purpose right now. I'm not going to say these things. I'm going to, I'm going to stop receiving love from you. And I'm also going to stop giving love to you and to others, not just me, but to others around him. And so, wow, it was like this glaring thing that I could see afterwards 
I wished I could have seen it greater then, not knowing what was going to take place. But to really understand this was going to be his process. And I think that is a process that a lot of people that when they're depressed and they're contemplating suicide, this is, this is where they start to go. I'm going to stop loving. I'm going to stop giving love. I'm going to, and you know, and so we start giving ourselves permission to, to go down this awful road. And so that was taking place and I just didn't see it. And uh, so I think if there can be a good thing again, that can take place from this is just a greater understanding of, of, uh, what takes place in people's hearts and minds as they begin to separate themselves from others and, and contemplating suicide. And I, um, I can tell you that this process of suicide and, and losing this person that the imagining taking their own life is just unbelievable. Um, and yet, um, so there's this song that came out years ago and I, I, didn't pay much attention to it until this event takes place. And then the name of the song was, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Wow. I hated that song. Jeez. I just hated it. Is it that dumb Kelly Clarkson one that was just on the radio every four minutes? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that was it. And anyway, what was interesting about that is it kept coming back to me. Just those words, not the song itself, but just those words. And here it is. It's now 12 years later. Um, I've lost my brother. And this long grieving process that takes place, it is, it's actually true. <laughs> this thing that I thought was just going to kill me too, um, man, it was just difficult. It was such a wrenching process in life um, that um, I, uh, I did become stronger from it, uh, truly. And so now I look back at this thing and I go, wow, death really is part of life. And, I, and this thing that just is tragic has made me stronger and... Uh, more understanding to life and how precious it is. And uh, how we shouldn't take anything for granted. So anyway, I, uh, I've gotten stronger from it. And my relationship with God and his word and the truth of his word became so much more important to me to understand the truth of God's word. And um, the I really began to look at God's word in a very different light when I um, was going through this. And uh, the, the, the verses in Micah chapter six, verses six through eight, talks about, God, what do you want from me? And at the time I was going, God, what do you want from me? And, you know, he talks about rivers of oil and the firstborn and the calves and what what can I give to you God to you know um, in this relationship with you what can I give and anyway verse verse 8 goes into this you know talking about love and mercy and giving grace and uh, but there was this one key ending of, to, of this verse in chapter 8 it says walk humbly with your God and that was it. 
I discovered that this walk was with him was going to be a humble one. And that this process of losing someone, going to church every day, I mean, every Sunday, just go to church, walk with God in this really difficult time, but don't walk away from him, walk with him. And to realize he's got a, a wonderful plan still, and this thing isn't going to end like this. And there's lots of good people in your life. And, but just keep walking with him. And so, man, every Sunday I would go to church and it would be the hardest place to be and yet the best place to be once a week to just go and listen to God and, and still sing worship songs and, and just keep loving him through it. And, uh, and I was even mad at God. And, and, but I just knew that that verse jumped out at me so much that this process was going to be a humbling one. And uh, that that weekly walk into church was going to be that thing that it was super important for me to do. And I think it's super healthy. People want to get away from other people and get away from God and get away from church. And yet that is the very one thing you need a lot of. Um, because God's truth is God's truth. It's every day, whether it's a wonderful day with your family or a tragic day that you lose somebody you love so much. So anyway, so how did this change your understanding of just how the world works? Well, I think that, uh, you know, we, we really, as humans, we are, uh, we are so, in a sense, especially in America, so protected. Um, um, I think that it, um, death like this is, uh, is a is a real wake up call. It um, it changes the fact that you life isn't just going to work every day and there's dinner on the table and spending time with your kids and just wonderful aspects to every day. It's it's really not like that. It's and it's probably good to really understand that. And I think that's what um, I think what going through this process with the suicide of my brother it was. It was something that it did let me know that um, death is really a real thing. And uh, to really be sensitive to others that are going through this process, um, it is so, it is so slow. It is so uh, uh, wavy, kind of in this high and lows of, of emotions. And it's, it's very real. You know, you can't, you can't just, you know, wish it away. It just keeps coming back at you. Um, and it's okay because it is just part of that thing. But it, it does, it definitely did, did change my perspective. Um, uh, my wife was wonderful through the process. Um, she didn't really understand it, but then she did also go through a loss. And so I think it really did she did understand it. Um, and, uh, however, you know, that twin thing is just a, a crazy, a crazy life thing. And uh, it's super wonderful. I uh, wouldn't change it for a minute, but, um, anyway, no, it's, it's hard, but it's, it's also good. Um, death is part of life. And so, 
as we understand that and go through the process, it's it's not as you know, it's not as sad and as dark as we just shouldn't stay there. We should we should move on. But anyway. Um, how do you think about suicide differently than before this? Huh. Um, I, I, I think what's really interesting is... Um, My brother was this person who was kind of really all or nothing. Um, and uh, so I think what was really interesting about this as this event took place and I thought, dang it, Bert, you were so all or nothing. And this was your answer and your way of doing it was like, like super deliberate, um, not much of a chance of coming out of this with just a slight injury kind of thing and being in the hospital, it was, it was going to be an end. And, uh, so he, he definitely, I just trying to imagine where you have to be at that place where you have to think of yourself as being life would be better for others around you if you weren't here. And to imagine that is, really crazy because now I understand how important it is the people that are in my life they're so important and it's like man I just can't imagine saying I'm going to eliminate myself and then things are going to be better it was man it was it was really really difficult to understand that and uh, but you have to that process of getting there, I think, for my brother was was slow and deliberate, and and uh, this stacking of shame and bad decisions, and you know, and feeling very hopeless, not really having much of a relationship with God was uh, very much a key part of that. I think just not having a faith in in a God that's going to deliver him from the issues of life and and give him some hope, and and he just didn't have that sense, I guess, and so. Anyway. What were some unexpected ripple effects into the rest of your life? Well, I've always been a fairly positive person and uh, that did that positivity of life. It certainly did kind of kind of set things <laughs> a little bit off for a while. I, I was super mad at God. And I, I'd never imagined myself that I would be, um, but I was. And um, there was the process of trying to get over the anger of being mad at my brother. And that super painful loss thing, I don't know what it is about that pain, but all of a sudden there's an anger that follows it that is just undeniable and crazy and you get snappy mad I mean like <laughs> boom angry and and uh, man I have I have struggled with some of that and uh, so that was a real reset for me um, the I, I think what's so interesting though um, 
One of the things that's really helped me, and I just never really caught this, and but this process has showed it to me. Um, so um, you go through this horrible time and this grieving process, and you're like going, uh, life just needs to stop kind of a thing. You know, like, I don't want anything to happen. I just want everything to kind of just stop. And yet life keeps going on, which is what's really interesting is it's, like you and Grace and my other kids and my wife and and life still was moving on and I had to still be a dad. All things were hard. Still had to be a husband, still had to be a worker and all of these things were harder, much harder. But it was really, there's really something interesting that I've learned that, so I think it's so important to give your life away in a way that you are sacrificially giving to people around you and loving them in a way. And so this crazy champ sports thing. So my, I lose my brother the 1st of June and about the middle of July every year, the champ boys would call me and say, Hey coach, let's get together and let's scrimmage like we do every July and we'll start getting ready for flag football. And I'm like on the phone going, boys, go away. I don't, don't you even know what's going on in my life? Don't you, don't you get it? I've just gone through the worst thing I've ever experienced. And I, I don't want to do champ sports. I don't want to do football. I don't want to do anything. Leave me alone. And, and yet they're on the phone and they're going, coach, coach, can we have practice on Thursday night, seven o'clock Nazarene field, you know, whatever. And, and I, it's only been like, you know, let's just say six, seven weeks. And I mean, when I couldn't hardly go to work, I couldn't hardly eat dinner, I couldn't hardly do anything. And these crazy boys are going, coach, set up the field, let's go. And that first night, I remember going setting up that field and laying out those cones and just everything was so hard but I just walked myself through that. And, and I just told the guys, I literally remember guys, you just go through the drills. I'm going to walk over here and just spend some time by myself. And they have no idea what's going on in my life. They have no idea. They're clueless, which was actually part of the wonderful process of it is having people that are clueless and still need you to do what you should do every day. And so anyway, um, I got through that first night of football practice or scrimmage time or whatever it was. And I put everything away and I, oh my gosh, that was brutal. <laughs> and, uh, so then the next week comes along and they're going, coach, coach, let's get back together. Let's, let's get the field out. Let's, let's go again. Okay. I'll see you guys down there. I'll set up the field. And it was a little bit easier the next time. And then the next week, it was a little bit easier. And I'm like, and I, but I mean, fractionally easier, not, not a lot easier. And I, oh, darn it. And then all of a sudden, here comes flag football and volleyball. And I'm the athletic director and going to meetings and moving on in life. And, but this slow little process of people just saying, you know, I still need you to do your thing. Would you please keep giving to me? 
in a sense of set the stuff up, get going, and not even think twice about where I'm at. And yet, guys, I needed it so bad and I didn't know it. And it was like, just keep doing it, just keep doing it. And so this is gonna, this is gonna be interesting because we're about to get to you. So here's my daughter, Abigail, and she doesn't really get it. I don't know that I was talked about it. I know about it either. I think I I was just young enough that you guys were like, she's still a kid. We're not going to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. It was not like I knew everything was not a wreck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, and what was so strange is I couldn't process. I couldn't talk about stuff. And so to think of talking to my nine, how old were you? I was 12. 12. Um, my 12 year old daughter about suicide and the struggle of loss. And I could barely talk to my wife about it, let alone my 12 year old daughter. But here's what was cool was you were part of that process of kind of getting life going again. And uh, I remember that year in basketball season. Um, that year we had played Ambrose and they had beat us by one point and we had beat them by one point during the season and we were working towards that championship game and um, anyway I uh, I remember the difficultness of the year before my brother was at a championship game and he was all excited about Abigail playing basketball and Grace playing basketball and you know and, and all of this stuff and he was super proud of everything and and uh and he was there and so i get back to this championship game against ambrose and we they got this full court pressure and we had to get ourselves ready for their full court pressure and anyway we we work super hard and you're part of that process and the rest of the team and i'm i'm having to just do my job and coach and uh man what a season super fun super hard just kind of going back through it again. And uh, and realizing that night I got done. And uh, my twin brother was not at that championship game. And, uh, and yet my amazing daughter Abigail had played and had fun and we defeated this team that was just so good and it was such a positive little thing that just took place that just, um, we had worked hard together towards something and it worked. And uh, anyway, it was just, you know, again, it's just little parts of that thing. But, and then, you know, as the year went on, it was a, a few months after that, I actually had to have a heart procedure done because that night that I, that day I lost my brother, I'd had this heart issue and they finally discovered what it was. And so 10 months later, I went to the hospital and they, got inside my heart and and did this thing to those nerves that stopped them from doing their crazy thing and and uh anyway I I went through that really weird procedure and it fixed a lot of stuff and the doctor said yeah uh there's only one thing that happened to you and your brother broke your heart kind of thing and so anyway but you and Grace and Brian and you know, Jason and Katie and, and, and life just became that thing that just kept 
pushing me forward and doing things and and learning to give again was super super important and i think i think he as i i look back and some way to help people through a process of grieving is is to come to a place in your life where you're giving again because i think in that in that giving of your life again whether it be fixing food for somebody or setting up a crazy football field or you know just blessing somebody um, learning to give is such an incredible healing thing at the same time you may not like put that together but it it really does make a huge huge difference and so anyway how did you experience the different stages of grief uh so we have denial anger bargaining depression and acceptance I assume you would oscillate between those and it wouldn't necessarily be a consistent pattern. Oh, yeah, it was never consistent. The denial thing was really... That was that was a real, real thing. Um, the first thing you just can't wrap your head around and your heart around is they're actually gone. And you just say... I, Tomorrow I'm going to wake up and this all isn't going to be, this isn't going to be true. And you'd wake up and it'd be true. And uh, so the denial thing was, was, uh, was really big at first. Um, and, uh, you know, you'd look, look down at your cell phone and there would be your brother's name and a cell phone attached to it. And I'm supposed to call him 10 o'clock. And I, I didn't get to do that anymore. Anger. Well, I kind of talked about that a little bit. That was, that it, that is a thing that rears its ugly head when you'd kind of least expect it to. Um, and it doesn't, that doesn't go away very fast. Um, so that's definitely, definitely part of the process. It is very real. Um, but yeah, um, what were those other things? Bargaining. Bargaining. I don't know. I don't know that I bargained very much. I may have bargained like, please take away the pain and I'll do whatever maybe, but. And then depression. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I didn't even know what depression was. It just didn't even click in me. I go, go, go positive, 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 you know, just go. And life is wonderful. Married a wonderful person, wonderful kids, wonderful life. Depression? Eh. But it, it came. Um, that strange tunnel you get into that's just full of darkness. And uh, um, reading some books about grieving and how that process works. And this one pastor was talking about as you're in that tunnel and you can't see any light at the end of it. He says, there'll be a day, there'll be a moment when there is a flicker of light at the end of the tunnel and you're going to go, did I, did I just see something out there? <laughs> like, wow, I wait, wait, there, there is something. And it might be weeks later, it might be days later, it might be months later, all of a sudden another flicker of light. And then all of a sudden the light stays on just a little bit longer. And, and, uh, and then there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It is, it is truly there. It just takes a while. And man, sometimes it, goes away but it, it comes back and uh, 
that thing, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is really true. Anyway. Yeah. Um, oh, dear. Which one next? Mm. Do you have flashbacks? I do. It's, it's really interesting. The phone call from my brother, Mike, is is one that is really, really uh, one of those things that comes back pretty hard. Um, I remember my brother's face, the very last conversation I had with him. Uh, I was in my pickup truck and he had leaned onto the glass of my truck and we were sitting there talking. And uh, I assured him that everything was going to be okay and that I was going to be there to help him. And I told him that I loved him. And those are things that really come back a lot. Anyway. Is there anything in particular that makes you think about that or it just pops up? It just pops up. Um, there, There is something. So when I was at the mortuary that week with Jason and Jason didn't go in, um, I went in and Jason just sat on the truck, but I'm with my brothers and my sister and we're there. And, and the mortuary guy said, Hey, um, we do want to give you guys an opportunity to see your brother for the last time. Um, so if you'd like to, you can come into this room and, and you can see your brother, man. I said, no, I said no so fast. And, uh, I did not. I wanted the last thing I saw in my eyes view of my brother. The last thing would be him being alive. I didn't want to see that other thing. So that is something I think about quite frequently that I'm really glad I, I didn't see that. So my sister, Lisa, who saw that, it traumatized her for years afterwards. Sure. Because I imagine it wasn't like he was all dressed nicely like you make it for the funeral. No. A couple years later, my sister calls me on the phone and she is just crying her eyes out. And I think it's, I think it's my birthday because that would be the same day as my brother's birthday. And so she was super upset. It was two years later and she brought up this thing that she saw Bert in the mortuary and how awful he looked. And she, she tried to describe it to me and I, I just kind of stopped her. I said, I don't want to know. And it was like, I'm so glad I didn't see that. Um, and, uh, so anyway, it was like reaffirming. Yep. I made the right decision that day. So, yeah. Are there some happy memories from, childhood or high school you'd like to share oh gosh yeah so so Bert was the quarterback and I was a wide receiver and um we got to practice a lot because we'd practice in our yard at the park and so he knew exactly how fast I was I know exactly how where he'd throw the ball at uh we'd play football then on a team and we would just we would be a really good team and it was super super fun uh um and 
we did really, really good together. Um, and it was a lot of fun. Um, Bert and I just did everything together. Of course, as you get into high school and all of a sudden he has a girlfriend and I have a girlfriend and there is some separation, but there was still just a super closeness that him and I had. Um, you know, we both really liked the San Francisco 49ers, you know, uh, way back in the day and super fun memory. And we talk about football all the time. And, um, oh, I discovered something so funny about my brother. So he was always pretending kind of to be an Idaho Vandals fan. Um, cause his girlfriend went to the, you know, went to Idaho and university of Idaho Vandal. And so he was like, I'm an Idaho fan, but, um, Every once in a while, we'd be talking about BSU, and, and I could tell he was like, he kind of really liked BSU, but he didn't want to admit it too much. And uh, so, no joke, this was kind of funny. Uh, we're going through all of his things after he, after he died, and at the bottom of this one box was this book about BSU winning the big, you know, Oklahoma game, Fiesta Bowl, and and it was at the bottom of this box. And he was like, you were holding out this secret that you really that liked so Boise State. He'd go to work at Idaho Power and he would just, on purpose, he would so razz the BSU guys there and he would just bet against BSU every week. Just something to razz these guys with and just be, just a pain to them. And he loved it. He was just such an honorary guy. And, and, uh, but deep down, he was like this BSU fan because he had this leftover memento book of BSU winning the Fiesta Bowl. Super funny. Yeah, I actually remember that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. Mm. Okay, do you have any last thoughts? Well, I, I, I think what's important um, really is the people that um, the people that are around you when you're going through this terrible process they're not going to know what's going on And I know that I didn't do a very good job of being a dad, being a dad, um, being a husband. I just am um, awful that people will have a lot of grace for those who are going through the loss of somebody that you love so much and that there is no when you're not going through it and you're separated from it a little bit and the other person is really struggling just give them a lot of space but don't ever let go of them.
I never meant any way to be cruel or mean or cold or unloving or ununderstanding or but I I'm sure it happened and so you can't help it there is a when the wheels come off and you're just trying to get through every day, it's hard, really hard. But God is good. God is good. And God is good every day, no matter what. So, um, that's my, that's my final thing, I guess. Should I ask my silly questions or should we leave that? Mm, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Do you prefer The Office or Parks and Rec? Well, I, I watched The Office. It was super good. And so I, I have to stay with The Office because I just haven't watched too much of Park and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, Do you think Genesis chapters 1 through 11, 1 through 11 is... History or mythology? I think it's history. Okay. Sad. <laughs> Do you think that there are aliens? Wow. <laughs> what a question. Uh, I, I honestly don't know. I, do, I just don't know. Um... Interesting question. I, I don't know. Sounds like you hadn't really thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not. Probably not. Uh, who or what inspires you to be your best? My wife. Man, that lady just wants me to do my best every day. So... And I got this guy by the name of John Byers, who is such a good friend. Um, very instrumental in those weeks and months of going through the grieving process. He was always there. 